0: What's up? It's Metal Dave Glesner, along with my co-host Jason McMaster, with you here on the Talk Louder podcast. Wow, Michael Bruce, what an honor! Um, second, yeah,
1: he he's like a legendary be- beyond. Like yeah. you think of legendary people that wrote tons of music. That uh, if you were born in the '60s and '70s, hell, if you were born at any time, his songs are still on the radio. You hear them in the grocery store. If you were you born yesterday,
0: yeah. if you were yeah, born yesterday, true. you know, school's out. <laughs>
1: yeah. So these songs are timeless. They're, right. they're never going to go away. Uh, yes. People, people might not know that it's Alice Cooper, but they know the song school's out,
0: etc. cetera. 18, School's Out, No More Mr. Nice Guy. Unbelievable. Uh, I got to ask uh, Michael about the song Be My Lover because he is the sole writer on that song. He's solely credited for that song, and it's one of my favorites from that era. So it was a real honor to have him today. He's the second member of the original Alice Cooper band that we've had on the Talk Louder podcast. Uh, You'll recall that we had uh, drummer Neil Smith on the show not too long ago, so you can go back into our archives and look up that episode as well but yeah pleasure to have him today i'd like to thank lynn townsend michael's wife for facilitating uh the show today she was responding to my emails and text messages and was very kind and made this happen so we appreciate you lynn thank you very much um michael bruce on the talk louder podcast (laughs) Yes, Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, We're big fans of of your music and your career, and we're honored to have you with us. First, uh, let's start start from the beginning. I know that you and the Alice Cooper guys met in high school, and you guys were athletes at the time on the track team, if I recall. Tell me about when was the moment that you traded sports for rock and roll? Well, uh, hey, honey. Never mind.
2: <laughs> well, I, I I actually went to North High, and they went to Cortez High. They were on the track team, and I'd see a lot of track players out. I I was going to do the swimming team, but North High didn't have a swimming pool, so I opted for tennis. And I got to wear the green shorts that all the girls wore, and all the guys would make fun of me going to football practice. But I went out for football as well, and uh, I uh, we didn't actually meet in a sporting arena, we, uh, we got a, we actually first met at, um, the a battle, a clash of the combos at Christown mall. And it was a big deal because what all the bands from certain high schools would battle it out and then they'd send their, the winner to Christown mall. And they, they had, uh, the North side and the South side and then the middle part of the mall. So he, they would battle it off here and battle it off on the other side. And then whoever won out of all those would, would face uh, the, the other band, whoever that was, in the center. And it's kind of interesting because uh, the spiders got eliminated right away and we made it to the finals. And uh, we, we, we really got into this. I asked my dad, Dan, where can we get this big wooden spools spoil, uh, spoil, that they put the wire on, you know? Yeah. And, uh, so he told me somewhere we went, and got three of them and we covered them in crepe paper. So it looked kind of like the Ed Sullivan set, you know, when the Beatles did their premiere, we stood on top of them and tried not to fall off. And, uh, so as we're playing our little hearts out, the, the band that went on before us was called the Pendletons, Pendletons. And they were kind of, a sort of surf, you know, they wore the Pendleton clothing and, um, their, uh, their partner in crime was Tony Evans. He was the boss job from KRIZ Radio. And uh, he would do <laughs> events in different places around the valley. And uh, I later found out that he would say, hey, here's the news Phyllis hit. And he was playing uh, uh, pirated stuff on the UK stations offshore that were, uh, that came out before the actual album did. So they were early stone songs from the first album. Wow. Nobody had heard of them before, so that nobody knew any bad, different, you know. <laughs> so we're, they, they played, and then, uh, so we're up there doing our cover songs and, you know, really trying to do a good show and everything. And as I'm playing and singing, I see people picking up the ballot boxes, and they're walking away with it. And I'm going, oh, wow, that's kind of different. So guess what? We didn't win. <laughs> So the Pendletons one, I, I later learned that, that Tony, Tony Evans was uh, he was kind of a bit of a wheeler dealer player, and uh, so I, you know, he would bring the Pendletons, who were the, you know, sounded a lot like the Rolling Stones because they played their songs, <laughs> and uh, nobody knew the we were, were out here in the Wild West, you know, in Arizona, and uh, so everybody kind of would go to whatever Tony Evans was doing, you know, a promotion for Dairy Queen or whatever. And uh, so I, I saw the Spiders briefly there. That's, I didn't meet any of them. I just saw them. And then later, um, I got a call that, uh, from these two brothers. They, they had a band called Adam Strange and uh, Mark and Joel Rummerfield were their names. And uh, they were like uh, five feet-ish tall. And uh, they said, hey, the Spider's looking for a guitar player. So I went on down there, and uh, and I realized when I saw them close up that uh, they were down there when we did an audition for Jack Curtis at the VIP. That's where the Spider's had their web of mystery, and, and that's where they played down there, and they were the house band. And uh, we did She Loves You, and uh, they were all lined up and watching us. I, I didn't know why, but I guess because... We beat him out at the Down Clash of the Compost. I don't know, but anyway, so I auditioned. And they taught me how to rave up because we did a lot of yardbird material, and then uh, so they, you know, I was packing up my gear. and, and oh, Thanks for letting me play. You know, and we're walking outside. And they go, "Hey, is that your Willie's Jeep over there?" I said, "Yeah, the orange one with the Batman emblem on the back of it. Yeah, that's me." And uh, they said, "Would you?" Possibly consider carrying some gear. I said, "No, no problem." So, I guess I sort of became an unofficial roadie slash guitar player, <laughs> and well, uh, that was it. I mean, no fanfare, no "Hey, welcome to the band," you know. And plus, I uh, one of the track members was John Spear, our original drummer, and he, I learned, had quite a temper as time went on. And so I, of course, the new guy, I had that room with him. And so, uh, but we didn't have any baggage, you know, so it was okay. I got along and I was always trying to the piece all of, you know, olive branch. And so we never got, got into anything too serious. But uh, I remember one day we were at the Buxton's house, Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Tom and Jerry, that was their names. And uh, Dennis and John are having some words and uh, Dennis says, what did you say, John? He would kind of mumble under his breath. And he calmly put his bass down and walked forward and then leaped across like two or three feet onto the drums, taking John down with him. And there just started going on. You know, they were furniture knocking around and everything. And then the Buxton's came home. They were playing golf. They go, boys, what's going on here? Uh, You'll have to ask them. I'm new in the band. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, so we were barred from there pretty much, uh, that was the end of that and then uh, we were just over at Alice's parents' house and they had a white, nice white couch with, uh, with plastic seat covers that stick to you when you're in the summertime in Arizona yeah. and uh, so we're getting ready to leave and she goes, what's that? And we're all looking around, I don't know, it's a white couch? Uh, no, that mark! Get down there oh that little that line that little really light sort of dark color line yes who did that I'm new in the band I, you know, <laughs> that's all I could say Is I, and uh, she's out you're never coming back so we did not like I think of space of a week or two because we were they were breaking me in on you know all the music and everything we were prepared from two places so I said well we can always go over to my folks house and they had a pretty, uh, my mother, who was, a, who was a, she was a torch singer, I guess you'd say. She sang those low songs in a sort of sexy way. And she used to sing on K.O.Y. radio and entertain the boys at Williams and Luke Air Force Base on the weekends. And she would, you know, make them feel better that they're not home, you know. And, and uh, at the time, Steve Allen was the piano player there, at K.O.Y., before he went over to Los Angeles. And McFarland was the program director. He later became the governor. So it was kind of interesting. And of course, when my mom became pregnant with me, that kind of meant her entertainment career was going out the, out the window. And I was the hope. And so I uh, I got to take accordion lessons. I could have been a weird Al, but uh, I couldn't wow. get the breathing and the squeezing and rhythm going and i did piano and and that was nice i had a very uh, exotic teacher and she had slimy cats were like it's like hi i'm slimy, is you please you know i know i know that song yeah uh, (laughs) yeah and uh she was kind of strange lady single and uh anyway i took a couple years and then uh at North High, they were, uh something was coming up and they were making preparations in the auditorium. And I walked in and she was just 17, you know? And then, boy, I was like, what's that? You know, and, and, then, and then I heard She Loves You and I was hooked, hook, line, and sinker. That's
1: and the Beatles, the Beatles kind
2: of did it for you, huh? Yeah, it did, it did. And, um, it, I, you know, I, I watch... Uh, you know, Shindig and all the shows that had, uh, I actually saw that on the YouTube, uh, some of the Jerry and the, pa- uh, Jerry and the Pacemakers, mm-hmm. and uh, the guy that did, uh, uh, what was his name? Uh, well, doesn't matter. Anyway, all the strange acts that they had, and, and the Stones, and and I just, just loved the Beatles, you know, and, and I started learning their music right away, uh, And uh, and actually, learning their music taught me structure of of songwriting. You know, really not realizing it because I started out as a folk singer when the Smothers Brothers were on TV, and we were called the Other Brothers. There was three of us: a washed-up bass and and two acoustic guitars. We'd play at parties or wherever we could meet girls. You know, so uh, it was kind of cute, and uh, so that's how. that all evolved. And uh, so I didn't really meet the track guys, the, the spiders and track, but uh, they did their Letterman show, Letterman Club show and with the mops on, and I guess everybody had a good laugh. And so uh, they decided to, let's learn how to play this. This is like, wow, will be really popular. <laughs> so we started going at it and uh, it was different because we played I, I lived on the east side, more or less, or center of Phoenix, and they lived out west. And uh, so we played a lot of different places that I hadn't played before. But I did, there was a, a couple of guys, Floyd and Jerry, they had the waterfall, like, something wrong with my lip, all this thing going on. And I played with them for a while. Where, actually, I met J- uh, Glenn Campbell one day, came over to the rehearsal place, and we were at. and Hi, hey Glenn. Hi, Glenn. Yeah. <laughs> and uh so i got to play down at the, with dyke and the blazers down at the counter room ballroom down on the broadway and uh so i got kind of a which uh, you know a broad uh quick study in in music and it was it was great because uh uh the spiders at the time did a lot of pretty things which were then a blues band you know from england and different songs and uh it was great i loved it uh, I'll shut up now and let you guys talk <laughs> so, so at
1: what point no we appreciate that uh, Intel those are that's some background that I don't think either of us actually had been able to put together. <laughs> um, I feel like there's a time between when you guys kind of got it up and going that you were probably playing parties and dances and then your own sort of you were still young ish so you were playing some you know, Uh, some kind of club scene I would imagine, but at at some point you relocated to Los Angeles and then I'm going to jump even further and started calling your band the Naz and then you had to get rid of that. Tell us about that.
2: We learned a good lesson. Like if we went over to LA and like starved all weekend and got nothing accomplished, we come just back from Los Angeles. It's the Spiders and we could charge another hundred dollars more so right we started making trips and we saved up a whole whopping 300 and spent the weekend looking for a place to live and guess what nada we wow. didn't find anything uh you know it was like 300 that's like uh add a, you know double that at least you know and then security deposit where are your references we were like i remember we were sitting in griffith park we were bummed out we're going, well, you know, we'll never, what are we going to do? And this, there was this guy sitting over, not too far from us. And he goes, I've got a house? Really? So he lived on Fairfax. We went down his house. He didn't know us from Adam. And um, so we started, the routine was he would go to work and we'd take all of his furniture, move all around the walls and then unload our truck and bring it in, set it up, practice all day, move the equipment back move his furniture back and then one of us slept on the couch, two of us slept in the closet, just wherever we could lay our heads, you know, pretty much that went on for about six months, still going back to Arizona for occasionally here and there. And, um, we come in. Oh yes. It's stinging (laughs) phone call for my lovely bride, Lynn. Anyway, so, uh, on uh, one of those trips, uh, I don't think we had, we had an audition for Frank yet, but uh, okay. we were over there. And, and when we started going over to California, we decided we needed a, a, another name for the band. And the, we got talking about this song that the yardbridge' is, Nazar Blues,
1: mm-hmm.
2: which is uh, kind of a slang uh, name. There was a Buckley, I think, Wayne F. Buckley did a book, Jesus Comes Back, it's the second coming, and he ends up in L.A. on the Strip. And he looks like another hippie, you know, and he was called the Naz, not the Nazarene, right? And so we thought that was cool. So we started. We auditioned. I remember the Grateful Dead when Pigpen was still in the band at the rotating stage that Aquarius, the the show, that Broadway play, ended up, and uh, so they had had every band, and it was looking for something, you know. They played and got paid by the promoters were and then all the freebies came for the next three days and we were one of them we played i think two or three four in the morning and uh then you know yeah we'll call you yeah right so we went back to arizona and then uh then we came out and moved to, to topanga canyon and that was interesting because it was down by malibu and we were out in the country really and uh, Neil Young had a house on the other side of the canyon and uh, several major guitar players and families and whatnot. And uh, so we moved into our place there. And uh, on one of the trips back, uh, we, we used to get together over at our road manager's sister's house, Bonnie. And then uh, her mother was there, Bonnie and Alice, started screwing around with the Ouija board. And they asked the question, who was Vince in his last life? And he came up with this. He was a, a person who had some psychic abilities, who was branded a witch, and they burned her at the stake. And uh, we, the rest of us came over that night, and Alice was all excited, or Vince was all excited. He's telling us a story, and we're going, oh, really? That's interesting. So I think we all left thinking, where the search so will go continue. <laughs> <laughs> and then the strangest thing had the next night we all show up back at Bonnie's. We're going, you know, I got to think about that. I like that name. And, and one by one, as we came in, yeah, let's call it Ben Alice Cooper. Cause we had, I probably had the shortest hair cause I, uh, my coach pulled my hair out through that little hole. He goes, Bruce, I think you'll be having a haircut before too long. Yes, coach. <laughs> and, uh, and we, uh, we all had long hair and we were skinny then, you know, but poverty does a great makeover for you. And uh, <laughs> so we decided, listen, as good as anything, you know, and we weren't coming up with any fantastic names. So we started down that road and <laughs> and that was pretty bleak too, because there had one guy, somebody that was at a record studio, oh, we auditioned for Original Sound, who did Tok Talk, Talk the, the music machine band. and. Uh, he said, nobody's gonna ever hire a band they record a band named Alice Cooper. It's a girl's name. Come on. But they did they ask Glenn and I to come outside. And so we're standing there and they go, Listen, we'll sign you guys today, right now. Just get rid of that Vince guy, and we'll have the talk talk guy the place <laughs> him. And then because we could do talk talk like nobody could do that. I mean, that was the one thing. The band was intense. I I don't know where that came from, but we were intense about music. And um, we all realized at one point that we were serious enough. We started going to LA to see if we could find a foothold there. And uh, I remember one of the scariest weekends was Dennis got a call from his old girlfriend. And she said she's with child. And he's trying to make up his mind whether he's going to go back to Phoenix or not. We were kind of on needles and pins because you know he was an amazing bass player, and uh, he had this airline, Montgomery Ward's airline bass, and I never heard a bass from a a major store sound that good. (laughs) And uh, he finally decided that he went back and talked, and I guess the time it had been apart was enough that they didn't link back up, you know, so we got a bass player back and um, so we're living in Japan Canyon and, uh, Alice used to hitchhike into town and he got to know the GTOs before we didn't know they were linked up with Zappa. They were just, uh, they just dressed like silent movie stars, real pale skin. And they'd go around to clubs with, uh, Rodney Bingenheimer, the Prince of, uh, Sunset's trip. Mm-hmm. And, uh, what's his name that, uh, the guy that did uh, um, the uh that girl band, that uh, the jukebox song. Oh, Kim Fowley. Kim, Kim oh. Fowley, yeah, Kim Fowley. Uh, mm-hmm. If we were went over to the Landmark Hotel because that's where Joe and Shep we met them. You know, right. ahead had myself, and I saw Tim Callie, uh, Tim Fowley seduce one of the GTOs. She was the best looking in the lot, and he goes, he's standing there. I'm kind of watching him, you know, back a little ways way he's you know, making his moves. Because, you know, I'm a very unusual person. And she goes, well, what is that, Jim? And he goes, I can give myself a blow job. And he started putting his head down. And she goes, No, no, I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> Auto Flasio, I guess it's called. Okay. And I was going, Really? Welcome to Hollywood, I guess. <laughs> so um, so uh speed Must have been
1: good forward, at yoga. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, uh, yoga so, will do the trick if you want to suck <laughs> your own anyway. So carry on. So so on one of our trips back from
2: from Arizona, we played uh, several clubs on the weekend and we're coming back and we had this Dodge van and it had a really had the engine in between the seats and it set up really high. It had a high center of gravity. So somehow we left early and we got out in front of the pack. If you look to the rear river mirrors, you'd see six lanes of cars slowly encroaching on us. So Mike Allen, our we called him ant boy. We didn't know what the term roadie was, we weren't that sophisticated. So he starts speeding up and this guy in some sort of SUV goes flying by and he cuts it in front of, you know, like to show his superiority or whatever. And Mike turned to not thought he was gonna hit him he was really close and that we went back and forth and then the van went end over end three oh. times now we got all the gear inside the van so it, what the, the saving grace was it wasn't like a blender you know with everything we decided to, i got some carpet and we laid all the equipment we laid flat and put this two two or three layers of carpet so we could relax, you know, on on a drive over and mm-hmm. sleep if we wanted, and that kept everything pretty much in place. Neil got a slash across his head. The, the van slid right up to this embankment, hit it, the doors flew open, and my parents' five hundred dollar Telefunken tape recorder went, but a boom, but a boom, but a bang, and boom, self-destructed. I'm going, oh God. I I'll never be able to go home now. <laughs> you know I'm I'm here for life, and, uh, and then we got another quick lesson. So Ambus shows up right, and they take one of us right out, up, up over the uh, exit. There's a hospital; he could see it, and then right back. Right back. Yeah, it's a two and a three hundred bucks apiece. So we started dodging the, the collectors early on in our career. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> it was crazy because uh, we didn't. I didn't know what to do. And highway patrol showed up, and they just said, "Yeah, get out of here." So you have <laughs> your
1: you, you you have your band name. What do you have? The material at this point. Do you have uh, Easy Action Pretties for you material? Well, what we did
2: is um, we started when I joined the band. I, when we rehearsed at uh, Vince's house. I asked Dennis, I said, hey, you guys do any original material? Because by then, I, um, I, I uh, had, had two singles out. And Pat McMahon, who was one of very popular DJs on Chris Radio, played it. And he goes, wow, that's a great record. And I'm like going, he played my record. What, what, what happened? Where am I? You know, I was like, whoa. That was quite a, a, you know, for a local kid, you know. Sure. And, uh, so um, I even changed my name on the record so as not to upset the guys in the spiders. I put Bruce Michaels, you know, because oh, I see how they would take it. You know, maybe they'll get mad. Oh. And so Dennis said, "Well, I've got a couple of songs," and so we started working on on some songs. And by the time we get over there and we're in the Alice Cooper group, we had we hit, well in the in this mix, I got a. The big part of it was um, we ran into this lady. I don't even remember how she met us, but I think she maybe was hitting on Alice or something. Anyway, uh, we were living uh, in, in the gay community there because our road manager was gay. And they were the nicest people. They washed our clothes and they felt sorry for us and they'd cut our hair. And they were just really sweet people. And uh, so she said to us one day, uh, the chambers of brothers are going to new york to be on the ed sullivan show you guys need a place to live because we were moving the furniture at that guy's house too right. That's something we did and uh yeah we do and so she said i have got a perfect house for us so we get all our stuff and we're driving around she goes, where are we going and yeah uh, i don't know we're just following her and, oh look there's a fire over there I oh, wonder what's going on over there drive up well wow. Neighborhood's kind of different. There's a lot of, of people of color around. Oh, uh, what's the name of the town? Oh, Watts. Watts, we're in Watts, huh? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a fire. This is the, the, the riot had just happened where they, the, the brick clubbing and the, the guy uh, pulling him out of the truck and all that. What year was this? Oh, boy, I, I, let's say, uh, oh gosh, uh, I'm so bad on time. Uh, well, you used your album releases we, as as a friend. We were out of high time. school, and yeah. we've been over there probably a good six months. We went from uh, Topanga, and then we met Joe and Shep, and they, we got a house in, in Santa Monica. And then where we met uh, Susie, uh, Sherry Cottle, and we didn't know it at the time. But have you ever heard of the Cheetah Clubs back in the day? Yeah. Yeah. They were the old Aragon ballrooms. Oh, okay. The POP, we lived near that in Santa Monica by the pier. There was a cheetah club there. And there was one in Chicago, New York, Paris, and, uh, UK and London. And she was booking for all those clubs. And one day, now we're living in Watts, right? The Doors album just came out and I'm going, man, I don't really like this. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. And, uh, so she, she said, What band would you guys like to see? We went, of course, Pink Floyd with Sid Barrett. Yeah, Piper at the Gates of Dawn. So nice. next thing you know, they're coming. They played the Cheetah Clubs and they're coming to Los Angeles. And we're going, Oh my God. So we got to hang out with Pink Floyd the whole time they were there. And Sid, uh, I, we didn't know about his reputation, but we soon caught on because he was fairly normal, you know, around, you know, when we're talking, bullshitting and. You know swapping stories but then as soon as they did their first television appearance was rolling he just like stand there and stare off into space he wouldn't play so mm-hmm. that was that pink floyd became a three-piece for a lot of it. that time sid was there and then when they played at the cheetah club did the same thing and that was a neat club i mean it had i don't know if you ever heard about the insides they had huge Bulbs. Uh, they were like studio bulbs, you know, for the big hot, can- uh, hot
0: you Spot know, fire up,
2: yeah. And sheets of stainless steel that they hung all around. It was. They used to have the artists and models ball there, and just uh, weddings. It was huge. All wood. It was really a neat building. Matter of fact, we talked to uh, Brett Maverick. Uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Rockford. Uh, James Garner. Oh so yeah, he was filming the Rocker piles there, and he talked to us for over an hour. And uh, and they also shot the the last scene of the Fugitive, where he falls off the building, lands in the water. That was right there at the Tujunga. Oh wow! So we're we're now living in Watts. We've got our, our neighborhood. The kids would run in and help themselves with the refrigerator, and we just go, "Oh, thanks for coming by and having some food with us." Because what could we say? You know, like if we tried to do anything, the neighborhood would come down on us big time. So that was different. And uh, but we're meeting all these stars. We played with Janis Joplin and the Holding Company. I think we did uh, the Grassroots and we're trying to, uh, some of the San Francisco bands, and of course, Pink Floyd. And when they left town, one of their roadies decided he was gonna be one of the first illegal immigrants Les Braden was his name, and he stayed. And he became sort of our mentor in all things rock and roll in English. You know, he was there when they spread all their gear out on the highway. You know, and it was amazing. And we already had an affinity because at the VIP, there was a lot of national acts. Of course, Jeff Beck played there with the art birds, the turtles, you, you name it. Everybody that was on national circuit played there. So we were getting the feel about, you know, what it looks like to perform and how you wear yourself and carry yourself. And, and that only became even more intense with less living with us. And um, and then the perk was when Hendrix came to town, we were back there with him hanging out. We were in Los Angeles. He went to Tucson. We immediately went home and hung out in Tucson with him. We played down there. We saw him at the ASU auditoriums auditorium there and um the soft machine opened for him and we had a great time we went up to uh this magician's house after the after party where he hip his eyes. bill spooner my friend from the tubes okay now be your favorite rock star and he put on a headband he's like doing jimmy and jimmy's over there laughing he's had so much fun i told his sister that later when i met her Jan- Janet or janice and uh it was it was amazing. And then, uh, of course, when blind faith came to town and, and Clapton, this is a little known secret, but I'll share it with you. Um, so we were rehearsing when we first started at signed with Frank, we rehearsed, uh, it where he rehearsed. So one night I, nobody was around. I took my Wawa pedal and swapped his for Frank's thinking must be magical or something. And I'm going, okay, well, well, I can't I can't try it out now cuz we're going to see um, cream. So I think for some reason I took my Wawa up along and I got a, I swapped it with Eric Clapton's. And guess what they're all the same. <laughs> <laughs> So it was not like a baseball glove where it has some personality, you know, or something like that. Wasn't the magic wah-wah pedal, no. <laughs> <Yeah. clears> though. <throat> and that uh, was, it was just crazy me. That's great.
1: But, I'm guessing um, that was probably about 68, maybe? Yeah, we were
2: there. See, we went over, started going over there after we graduated high school. Uh, I, I think we were, I did, a. we all did a junior college. I did it at PC and they went to... Uh, uh, Glendale community, and that's when uh, I met Glenn. He was living in his parents' house. He he got, uh, he got uh, what do they call it? Uh, expelled, because mm-hmm. uh, he was drinking, and uh, his grades weren't all the best because he just listened to music and locked himself in the bedroom, and or he could play Chet Atkins, and all, you know, he loved that kind of stuff. And of course, any Yardbird song, he was a great comedian, guitar player, But as time went on, uh, kind of floundered uh, because there's nothing to copy now. We're writing this stuff, you know? And we started doing, we had usually played four sets at a club. So one was like, one was original and the other three were cover stuff. Then gradually it was two and two, then three and four. And then finally we started doing an all original set. And that's what we were doing at the Cheetah. And we did this song called levity ball, which we actually used the track. It was recorded on my parents' telefunken recorder. And they had this the you know, overtones in that place were so amazing. It sounded like you were inside a reverb chamber, you know, if that, imagine that. And when Alice did the 13 candles uh, decorated on the birthday cake, uh, which were joints actually. And, uh, they had this sort of swirling thing going on in the building. I, I can't describe it. We used it on on the record. And um, it was, we, we sold a bunch of records the first I'll preach for you, but we soon got, to, you know, we learned that Everything we did was a Frank Sappa discovery. We didn't do anything that wasn't Frank inspired. So and then that coupled with the time I saw him berate a guy who was five minutes late all through the day. I mean, I can't imagine if I was him, he probably went home and... <laughs> because he just didn't let up. And my nickname was for Frank the, uh, you know, excellent player. Didn't do drugs. Uh, he grew up in Encino, uh, in, in some you know where there were gearheads, you know, and. uh he had a blue rider, and, and uh, he. Uh, but everything had to be his discovery and his thing. And and by the second album, we were kind of going. This guy's gonna, you know, we're gonna be. He's gonna adopt us or something, you know, <laughs> you know, because we couldn't do anything without him, you know. And uh, we did the first tour with him over to the UK, and uh, so we started, you know, yearning to. Move on, you know. And I have to back up again, but uh, we went. Uh, Cindy, Neil's sister, uh, and uh, her girlfriend started a boutique in in Hollywood. And one day, as they described it, two fast two fast talking Jews from New York came in, and she was Cindy said, "My brother's in a band," you know. She was "Oh, we're guess what? We're producers and managers and all that stuff." And so. They gave us their card. Cindy gave it to us. And Neil and I hot shot it right the next day over to the landmark where it was very strange. We went in their apartment and I'm going, What's that weird smell? And I'm looking around and I walked in and the, the sink was piled with dishes from the Cambrian period. I don't know what prehistoric period. There was green moss, I mean, it was Mm. disgusting and we could get pretty disgusting. So we never went in the kitchen and uh, we talked to Joe and Shep and said, hey, we told him about the band and everything. And we said, yeah, as a matter of fact, we're gonna sign with Frank Zappa tomorrow night, which meant uh, in the straight record lineup, you signed with Herbie Cohen as your manager and Frank was the producer. So Shep goes, Light bulb, and uh, he goes, Well, you know what, you guys, we have experience, we can go in and negotiate for you, and we'll just do a word of mouth deal, you don't have to sign anything. And then, after we prove ourselves over time, you know, we'll go to paper, maybe you know, if it all works out for all of us. So that's what we eventually did. Wow, and uh, Herbie and Frank were really upset that uh, Chef came in negotiating for us because everybody had signed with Herbie, that's why you'd never heard of them after that chip was the one that went in and face off you know and uh, i remember later when we were out on the road we went in the music store and they were by this time playing i'm 18 and there was no records in the store or anything we told chef he flew out to la and then the next week there was a cutout out of alice with that whip you know and, and that yeah so it was pretty amazing um I remember the first time they came out to Topanga Canyon they had this blue Cadillac and and the other blue thing that was coming out was carbon monoxide out of their tailpipe. It was like smoke and big time. (laughs) And they told us they used to manage uh, the Left Bank, which I happen to really like Walker Ray Rene and um, Pretty Ballerina, you know. And uh, he said these guys were weird. They started, this lead singer started buying heat spent all his money on shoes. He had a giant shoe collection in his closet. And he said, we had to get out of there. And I think the re- actual reason was they had a, a poker game going and maybe did a little you know, wheeling and dealing on the side in the uh, un- unmentionables. And so they had to make a hut, put it out of there. And, and New York wasn't far enough away from Buffalo. So they kept on going west <laughs> and uh, proceeded to kind of get back into that. Uh, and that led to another chef and joe story the uh unreleased bob dylan song called uh they called the garage the ba- or the basement tapes that's what it was and i don't know if you ever saw that rolling stone about the basement tapes and they quoted me as saying yeah that's that was unreleased bob dylan it just had a white jacket and there was some songs on it and uh so uh, a thing happened, and there was some authorities involved, and I don't know the whole story, but uh, uh, things changed a little bit. And uh, but we left LA. We did a show with uh, the lineup was well. We first did the first Alice Cooper show we did it was in Santa Barbara, and it was Blue Cheer headlining. The Nitty Gritty Dirt Band the Alice Cooper band was on March sixteenth, my birthday. So I thought, wow, this is a special day. And the guy that the same, Mr. Bojangles, I, I don't remember his name, but he after the show, he goes, Wow, you guys have a very interesting show. Uh, you know who would who would really be interested in you guys is Frank Zappi. He's starting this new label with all the, I know he wanted to say weirdos, but he said with different music, he was <laughs> being very polite. Uh, you just check it out. So that's when Alice started hitching into into it found out the GTOs were living in the log cabin and so uh, we pushed and pushed and finally got Miss Christine to uh, she got us an audition at Frank's and he uh, said yeah you guys got to be there at 6: okay 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 so we got up the next morning at five in the morning went down, unloaded our gear took it down the stairs sat up and start playing at right at six. Next thing you know, here comes Frank down the staircase. He's going like, he's coming. He goes, what the hell are you doing down here? Uh, uh, nothing, Mr. Zappa. We thought we had an addition. It's six in the evening, you idiots. Well, oh, we're sorry. like smokes. <laughs> oh, stupid. But he goes, I gotta say this. You guys really play well together. We could speed up and slow down the one unit. It was like having a you know, one of those uh, echo machines, maestro, you can slow that <laughs> down. And he said, yeah, you can audition, you know, no big deal. And went back upstairs, went back to
1: bed, I guess.
2: <laughs> we were like, wow, was that a close call or what? We almost blew our audition. So that's when Chef J- went down and, and orchestrated a deal for us and Fermi and Frank were been out. But, you know, what we didn't know about this was you remember the Freak Out album? Yes. Brown Shoes Don't Make It, Susie Cream Cheese? Mm-hmm. Well, the word on this strip was, listen to that. Frank's making fun of the establishment. Let's go buy that record. So everybody's buying it like crazy. Guess what? Frank was making fun of the hippies. but They were so stoned, they didn't realize it. And all of a sudden, Frank had a humongous hit on his hands. Now what does he have? Hi, I'm from the IRS. He's going, Oh God, oh, what am I going to do? I got to start, I'm going to start Bizarre Records and I'm going to get every strange band and they're going to record one album and I'm going to have write offs. I'm going to lose so much money. And that's what happened. It was almost like the movie The Producers. You know, they're getting all these uh, investors in this movie and and they're selling more and more than 100%, and they ended up going to jail. So it was kind of like that. Uh, We all did an album. We were the only ones that got to do a second album because of Chef negotiating for us. And uh, the first one, uh, Frank got sick after three days. Then Herbie Cohen, his manager, came in to run the show. He fell asleep on the couch. He was, you know, snoring by 7 o'clock in the evening. And then... uh, the keyboard player, I, I, he did the soundtrack for Little Mermaid. Um, I, sometimes I have a couple of his name, but he was one of the mothers of invention. And he finished the album. Thank God he did a good job. And uh, so that got us a second album. And we sold some records, actually. But I'm sure he lost money because that's what he wanted. You know? So uh, the only legitimate artist was uh, Tim Buckley, and he did... Uh, Star Sailor, this is an al- album, and later his son sang Glory, that song that was in I think it was the Civil War movie with uh, uh, Ferris Bueller, Days, Days yeah. Off, and uh, Matthew in the Broderick. Bridger.
1: yeah, Matthew yeah. Broderick, That's yeah.
2: a beautiful song, and he saved his son from drowning and, and he drowned. Oh, it was a, it was oh. who was
1: the guy who on straight records with us? I hate to, I hate I to, to I, I hate to kind he of put it forward. Uh, I'm you, sorry, what? I hate to just kind of push forward, but sure. I'm sorry. That's I'm okay. There. It's okay. All of this <laughs> stuff is, is amazing. I rattle could, a lot. We could we could talk to you for ten hours, I promise. But yeah, what are we gonna do with the documentary? Just send me the paperwork. Yeah, we need right. <laughs> I feel I feel like uh you know when you met Bob Ezrin, something clicked between you and Bob Ezrin.
2: Well, after our experience with, with the three producers. And us uh, playing with Three Dog Night, uh, the uh, Buffalo Springfield, and we played with them at a big concert in L.A. And we realized we got to get our rock and sh- rock and roll booties together. You know, we were because we lost our first drummer, John Spear, and he was he was an animal. He did fifteen minute versions of I'm a Man to shatter sticks. He was he was on the track team. Anyway, so O'Neill joins the man, and he's kind of like a lot on the symbols and not so much the John Bonham bass snare thing going on so we moved back to Detroit and uh, that's where we started learning how to really rock because there was a lot of rockers you know Ted and everybody else and uh, I'm sorry what was the question
1: well when you met when <laughs> well, you met yes, when you got sorry. into writing basically producing songs writing songs creating well, he was playing with, with, uh, right, with yeah. uh, Ursa major.
2: I didn't realize at the time that that's where Dick Wagner comes into the picture. Mm. Not so much in the first couple of albums, but later in Bob playing keyboard. And I heard it, he played also April Wine. And I heard wow. the single. This, this guy, I I think's the guy. And I rode out to the airport with him. <laughs> He's probably glad we finally got there. Out of I'm out of his ear. But uh, yeah, we kind of clicked and he said, Yeah, I saw your show. Uh Doing that song, I'm edgy. We thought that had a lot of commercial appeal, and we going, "I'm edgy." I'm edgy. eighteen. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was funny. And before that, ship ship had to go up to Nimbus 9 because guess who was really popular? then? He camped out on the doorstep, saying, "You need to produce this band." As they walked into the office, "You need to produce this band." With it showing a pretty for you and easy action album. Wow. So finally, I heard the story, Bob told us the story that Jack Richardson, producer of The Guest Who, said, okay, whoever screws up this week at Nimbus 9 is going to have to produce the Alice Cooper band. And I guess Bob screwed up, so he came out to the bar. <laughs> and it was a nice place. We had a big paddock, horse paddock to rehearse him, and we started dove right in, and he's he was a prodigy piano player, but he didn't want to go that route. His dad was a doctor. And he wanted to be a rebel record producer. So we got, that's what he did. And uh, he could play piano like crazy. And I played a little piano. So what happened, the, the bump in the road was that he started putting a lot of uh, keyboard parts to the point where in, in almost every song, and I, I said, you know, Bob, we're not Procolheron. And I, I play a little keyboard, but I don't think I could play any of this. And he, I guess, was insulted when I said that. And he got his feathers ruffled, and he what, Shep says, I quit. And I'm going, you're by. So we made, just made up, and we proceeded. But he scaled down any keyboard parts, you know, to like a long way to go. That was, that was nice. You know, tasty. Yeah, that's song. one of my favorites, man. Yeah, I mean, that really, you know, I'm not a big dancer, but, you know, it made me want to get up. So there was there was keyboard pads and stuff, but not like, Mommy, where is Daddy? I played, that. that's something I wrote in Mary Ann. so he'd take these little vignettes and then build kind of music around them. And that became like dead like babies. We have like song fragments, a good chorus and verse but not the whole structure. And that's what we learned from Bob. And uh, he helped us a lot. and started writing more and more.
1: That's why I kind of wanted to get into it, at least for a couple of minutes. Sure. About the, the orchestration of, of, of the songs changed when you worked with Bob, as opposed to where you were just trying to freak out Frank. You know,
2: Right. Well, the freak out thing was like, Hey, look at this! Why we're learning to try and rock and roll, you know right. all the glitters, you know. Right. So we would do goofy stuff, you know, like yeah, which is fine. To, I
1: mean, I think we they... would raise
2: our legs and yodel at the end of the song.
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey, you didn't raise your
2: leg there. <laughs> that's I mean that's how. And then we played at baseball stadium in L.A. outside of L.A. We just have all the ball games and. Alice Cooper faces the chamber of fire, and what that was is a wooden rectangle with the banners you see over car lots. They're made yeah. of plastic, and we lit them on fire, and they're dripping hot plastic down. Ouch. And that was the chamber of fire in the broad daylight. We did, we did get the fire marshal out, and he goes, oh. and that was kind of a precursor of things like that to come. People you know, sort of overdoing it when they're pointing out we're not supposed to be doing something, you know, the pyramid, we're playing outside, you know, we could have burned up the stage maybe, but that's it. There's dirt all around us. So uh, that was one of those uncanny things. But we, as we got into it, we liked the, the spark, uh, sort of the, it didn't get too far or, over orchestrated like uh, Moody Blues, for instance, mm. but like on, uh, well, the next album, Desperado. I love that. It was mm. sort of had that Western theme and it was a song I wrote and Alice wrote these gunfighter lyrics to it. And uh, well, I just connected like uh, a couple of, train
1: cars you know just well and the song is the song is longer like a pink floyd song or something but it has these movements like uh pieces of a of a classical song has you know all these mo- moving parts and everything and desperado uh in particular uh has the gallop moving halo flies, flies is another one that's kind of built the same way When we played them though, they weren't so
2: classical. We didn't have classical training, so they came out sort of uh, in translation, you know, a little, something was lost in translation, which was okay, we were hitting the right notes, but I remember later on when we did the West Side Story, having trouble catching that one part.
0: But you
2: know, that's our shortcomings.
0: I wanted to ask. Do you have something? uh, Yeah, I I, I do, I wanted to ask. Your, your writing credits, I mean, are phenomenal. Um, you, you know, you, you had a major hand in uh, 18 schools out, no more Mr. Nice guy. All these classic songs. but there's one song that's one of my favorites from Alice Cooper, the Alice Cooper group, and you are the sole writer. You're credited as the sole writer and that song is Be My Lover. Oh, well wow. so tell me about now when, you, when now when it credits you as the sole writer, does that include lyrics as well? Yeah, that's
2: kind of what that meant, you know. Okay. Because Rocka Boys, we used to call Vince when there was, you know, we did a cover song and there was no lyrics and instrumental. You yeah. Know, do this thing. Rocka Boy.
0: Well, I, I or Vince, love that song. Havana, you know, <laughs> I love the song and I love the lyrics. To me, it's one of my favorite songs from that era. Um, tell me about writing that and. And 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 coming up with those lyrics and the the story is great. uh <laughs> That I was a uh, you know I played guitar yeah. in a rock and roll band. Tell us yeah, a bit about uh, that song. It's you're 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 the sole writer on that.
2: We're we're now out. Uh, we started. Uh, Quattro Sisters lived in Detroit and played around. Susie Quattro was in there, and Chip got uh, Leo Finn, their road manager, because he knew all the booking agents. Uh, from the east theater to the grandy ballroom so we're out playing a lot and we finally got to graduate from the nine passenger station wagon of death into <laughs> short tops you know if we couldn't make it we'd book gigs sometimes we didn't have enough time to drive to and on one of them somewhere uh so most of the passengers are on the plane and we come in long hair and looking strange sit down i sit down next to this elderly lady and somebody else. And and she she turned to me and said, are you boys an orchestra? (laughs) And I'm going, no. uh, uh, The lyric kind of started from there. Listen, baby, but as a grandmother. So I I changed that. You really wouldn't understand. No, we're not an orchestra. We're a musical group. Oh, that's nice. (laughs) As it turned out, the girl was um, sitting next to me was quite attractive, and so I said, uh, what's your name? And we just started talking, and I, I asked her, what are you doing in coming to Los Angeles? I forget where she was coming from, but she got, oh, I'm going to a funeral. And Dave Lieber, our road manager, goes, Michael, that's the best line I've ever heard. Well, what are you doing after the funeral? I said to her, I should have got slapped in the face probably. She said, oh, I'm not doing anything. I don't know Los Angeles. Oh, really? I used to live there. <laughs> so that's kind of how that story evolved. And then we kind of, it was kind of interesting because we would have a, a sort of a forum and we'd kind of bring in a, a song that we might think would be worthy of doing. And so, you know, I, I brought a song in, Dennis or Neil or whoever had a song And sort of share the idea of the song and then maybe Vince or Dennis who writes some lyrics. You know, that's how it came. And that was, came to epitome me that was on uh, I'm 18, Alice wrote a very good first draft and we all at the tribunal said, we think you can do it even better. You know, why don't you go back to the drawing board? (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. Anyway, so he goes back and the next one is better and it's starting to Alice, you think you got one more in it? In I mean, and then that's the one you hear on the record. He nailed it big time. I was impressed. You know, he was an editor at the school paper when he was in uh, Cortez and Glendale and Community College. And so he had an th- affinity for words and things like that. And that kind of, he he would sometimes, like a, a nice guy, for instance, I had uh, a lyric, you might get a kick out of it, it used to be such a sweet, sweet thing, but that was just a burn. they used to break my back just to kiss her ass and got nothing in return. All my friends said, man, you're crazy for being such a fool. Well, I guess I was because being in love made me so uncool. Now I'm no more Mr. Nice Guy. So he flips it to the press, you know, which he was getting a lot of, by then, he it was this, you know, different sort of a lead singer, you know, for a group, and so that whole thing, interaction and playing still going on late in, in the game as, as the al- albums proceeded. I'd come in with a chorus and verse and we'd take it to the next level. And I used to sit when we were tuning up and warm up with just guitar riff germs, you know, playing this and that. And uh, we used a lot of parts of, of some of those jams for songs that we did with, with the band. So I, I'm, I'm going to tell you about Halo flies. So, I had these odd bits left over, and so I started stream st- streaming or you know put playing them together in some sort of order, and we started. Hey, oh, yeah, that sounds kind of interesting. You know, Dennis came out with it, boom, de-doom, de-doom, de-doom. you know, everybody throw in, you know, and, and uh, the early version, Glenn, I think even had a the schools out riff that, or that might have been a different song. Uh, maybe that was I'm edgy playing the dun da in the jam, because we did a lot of long jams because we didn't have a lot of original material <laughs> at the time, so stretch it! And uh, so that's where a lot of those things came from, and then we we were big on just making it and, and making it work. You know, it uh, it got to be productive.
1: You and pulled it off.
2: And, yeah, I'll <laughs> say.
0: You pulled I'll it off. off.
2: And, you know, we... Uh, And we hadn't become too jaded where we were now, you know, "Ah,
1: you're not
2: messing with my lyrics.
1: Yeah, you 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 kind of proved yourself eight records in like six years or something crazy like that. Less than that, five years maybe. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Exactly.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, that old saying,
1: when you're hot, you're hot. When you're not, you're not.
2: Yeah. Uh, I don't even know if that song was out then. Maybe it came
1: later. But uh Well, these are, these are incredible stories, man. Yeah. Well, we have to do a part two. (laughs) I would love to.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah, The sequel. Come on back viewers. You're going to love it. They (laughs) will.
1: They would love to see you again.
0: Yeah. Tell, tell us real quick. I asked Neil this question when we had him on the show and I, I I ask anybody that's in a band that uh, puts on a big theatrical production. And of course you guys are sort of the forefathers of that. Um, What was your biggest spinal tap moment on stage with all the props, the guillotine, the snake, uh, you know, all the the props and things that are on the Alice Cooper stage back in those days? Surely there was a time when you fell off the stage or ran into something or bumped your head or whatever. There
2: was a a couple of them and they were linked with the execution. You know, so the, the first one obviously was the hanging, right? So one night, and I got my brother, he was one of the roadies on the show, and he, he's in charge of pulling the right. Glenn does it on stage, but there's really a lever down below, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so we do the you know, they march up to the gallows, and Glenn has the hood on and the torches and everything. And Alice is on the gallows, and they put the noose around his neck, and, and Glenn pulls the trapdoor. And Alice is still standing there. So Shep starts pulling out of his hair, runs over to my brother and goes, pull the lever! And he pulls it. Nothing's happening. There's something wrong. And then Alice starts jumping up and down on the gallows, like, I'm going to hang myself. And finally, boom, he did. And wow. it was like we were going, okay, what just happened? And found out one of the mechanisms, What we had to assemble it up. Warner Brothers took a a stage gallows like we had used in a Western Mm -hmm. and broke it up into pieces that you could put in amble cases. There was four cases for the guillotine. And somehow in putting it and taking it out, something got askew and it wouldn't release the trap door. So also, too, every one of us got hung before Alice did. He he was scared of it, right? (laughs) So that made him jumping up and down even crazier, you know. I, I'm scared to death, I'm jumping up and down. I want to hang myself. So fast forward to the guillotine, same sort of thing. We all got guillotined. Alice didn't want to know about it because it looked so real. And Amazing Randy told us that unless you had a camera, your eye didn't react fast enough to see the, as the guillotine comes down the blade in the, in the grooves on each side, there's a runner this far about in front of it. It trips a spring, activated thing, and the spring goes, boom, down in front with uh, where Alice, the head, Alice pulls out and puts the head in there. And mm-hmm. then Amazing Randy comes up and pulls it back and it's the dummy head you see.
0: Yeah.
2: So he just said he wasn't gonna do it, you know? And we were going, oh, come on, Alice, see is easy, look, I can do it. <laughs> If I can do it, you can. It. We, we all tried to romance well, him, but uh, I guess uh, I, I don't really know what finally got him on there. Maybe Shep said, Look, you're going to become Alice B. Toklas if you don't do this, <laughs> you know, because now we, you've got to man up, so to speak. So and he got on, crawled in there, and Aunt Randy had to walk him through how it worked and show him every little stage so there was no surprises. <laughs> <laughs> and he finally did it but it was took some teeth pulling so i i think those the other not so amazing guilt, uh, thing was the, so we were trying to find something to follow now to beheading you know the, the guillotine so we're kicking around ideas and we're not coming up with anything so uh one of our roadies said hey Warner Brothers has this big cannon that breaks up into cases I think they use it uh, for Christmas time, a toy cannon. I you don't know oh, what the hell. So we, we got it out there. So Alice climbs in it. There's a trap door. If you don't see, he gets out. And inside is a dummy that looks like Alice. And it's spring-loaded, and they light the light It goes, and then boom, big boom, you know, sound effect, and goes the dummy goes flying out, and then Alice is already out in the audience. Observe. Hey, look, I got shot out of a cannon. (laughs) Nobody liked it. Nobody liked it, and it's all our fault. So so I got this. I said, Alice, why don't you get on top of the cannon and sort of love it to death, you know, stroke it like it's a big penis, you know? And then out of the front was supposed to, in in a true orgasmic moment, it was supposed to spray out, it was sort of like a, Gallagher thing when he smashes the watermelon and it sprays on you—that's part of the whole fun of the thing, you know. you pelted with watermelon seeds, and it. well, it came out. So he's stroking, it and then release the sperm, you know. Like it, it just dribbles out the front and falls down. And I said, "That's not it." We we couldn't figure out how to make it spray out because it was so thick to look like jismo or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> it was like pancakes or
0: yeah didn't happen and so Neil Neil told us that it made the stage very slippery and dangerous. <laughs> yeah,
1: I think we we tried it out.
0: We used to always do like there are our, our rated
1: there when our G rating. There went our G rating on
0: our show. We yeah. Never had a G rating. <laughs> yeah, we never spot. had a G rating. So, so that's when
2: a when Joe Gannon came from uh, Neil Diamond. He worked for Neil and he joined us and they whipped up the Ta-da! The King Tut, you know, and the levels of the stage. And that was a pretty amazing stage. There was only one flying the ointment. On the post, in those sort of, I call them the go-go booth. there was four poles where I stood in one and Dennis is, Glenn's in the other, Dennis is someone roaming around behind Alice. And there's the King Tut behind Neil and then his drum set. They use real metal, flake, metal. And they were like little shards of laser blades. And you, you could only get around to down where Alice was by going through the stair corridor between the drums and the post. And I'd whip, go whipping through there and all of a sudden, shh, I got cut and I'm bleeding. And now my jacket, white jacket's got blood all over. It. And that happened a lot. I mean, I got scars to prove it. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> yeah. That was from all of that. And I kept saying to the crew, I said, "Isn't there a way you could just if I just had another six inches? How about nine, Michael? They make fun of me. No, yeah, nine. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was uh, it was a joke, you know. And uh, but I did I didn't give up, and I finally got him in, in the last probably month of shows that we did with that. I got him to move it, and they said, "No, this is easy. This is, w- once I got to the right guy, who helped design the stage. He was no, it's easy." The Next day, it was woo. Uh, hey, I could go by there with, but we like the blood, we like your bleeding. And <laughs> yeah. so, all part of uh, the show. We oh. had at the end of the tour, Dave Liebert, he did skits of different uh, members of the band and, and the road crew. And he put a pillow because I like white Russian, so I was getting a bit of a stomach on him. He put a pillow in there, go, I want you guys to move that stage one inch, just one inch. <laughs> Everybody's <laughs> laughing, laughing, you know. By this time, we lost our 707, and now we're flying in a four-engine crop duster or something. <laughs> but we uh, finished the tour, and uh, our parents actually went to the last show we did in Tucson, and it was pretty interesting. That's when everything went wrong for Glenn, broke a string, and he didn't have a good night, and his parents got sick on the plane, and my parents just drove that because they didn't, didn't like flying. <laughs> so <laughs> it was a rough night, but... Uh, we finished the tour, and uh, that's when things got really interesting. After okay. bringing all the babies, uh, we had a great moment uh, at at the end of the tu- towards the end of the tour and uh, I think it was uh, Rhode Island. We came out, and it was all the the water rained the night before was now ice, and it was gleaming like a fairyland of icicles and stuff like that. And we did hard days at night with the with uh, the turtles. And it, it, it was like, really had the feel of the whole thing. We they had great singers, and we, you know, it was nice. It was great. I, I I wanted to put it on the next album. I thought it was so good. But anyway, so um, that's when we took time off. And uh, we, Neil wanted to do an album, and I wanted to do an album. I wanted to be the five or six Beatle, you know. And Neil wanted to do his album Platinum God, you know. And I'll say, oh, I'm going to do some, nightclub song you know just a couple of you know nightclub oriented stuff so we proceeded to do that and um i uh was lucky enough to audition with a producer who was working with gene gene cornish and gino denelli from the rascals and they co-produced the album with me and it's called in my own way and uh i got to do a lot of acoustic stuff and harmony stuff that i really wanted to do Uh, keith moon came down to play on it and um, jerry beckley from america and uh mama lion who I mean, who sure she was the picture on the album cover was her nursing you could see her breast with a baby lion cup and then uh, uh this guy uh he was kind of a, a preacher and a rock and roller at the same time from somewhere in the south he was living out in california at the time and he was kind of like that actor, I can't remember his name, but uh, got really popular and he kind of did a gospel sort of a thing and they they came down and sang on it and Alice came down and sang and it was great, you know, and uh, and then uh, Neil got his album done and he had a great song on rock and roll radio that Jack Douglas did, you know, after he finished with Cheap Trick and Aerosmith and it was a really great song and that was our first single on the on the later on the badlax album but um so we're now back in Connecticut and Neil called uh, I'm in Arizona and Neil calls me up because Michael um we're getting together you know, we want to work on the next Cooper album I said oh wow okay so I had a deal in Germany with Polidor for my in my own wham so I just left it at that and tabled it and went back to Connecticut started working with Neil and Dennis and uh Glenn. And uh, so we've been there maybe a couple of weeks. And uh, this is, this will answer maybe a lot of your questions regarding the the be up the be breakup. of anyway, uh, so I guess Neil had put in a call to Shep earlier in the day, and uh, we're down at Neil's house in his basement rehearsing. And he you know, gets a phone call, and he gets on it, you know, and he's, th- he's talking to Chef, and we take a break and we're, you know, tuning guitars or whatever. And he's got this look at his face. And, okay. All right. Okay. And the phone up said, Alice doesn't want to work with us anymore. Went, what? Wow. That's what Chef said. He said, Alice doesn't want to work with us anymore. So it was a mixture of shock. Disbelief and sadness, you know, because I guess this was going to be the end of this. But, you know, our our careers. We didn't know how scary it was going to get, you know. And then over the course of time, you know, uh, Chip and Alice had moved to the West Coast. I'm still living in Connecticut. I basically moved back to Arizona. Uh, Neil and Beth start working together, uh, we did, we, we lost our accountants. So now we had to do our own taxes, which is a whole nother story. Um, we lost, well, we didn't know we had any medical code because we hadn't used it yet. Part of AFRA, American Federation of Television and Recording Artists. And that later, six or seven years later, we found out that they credited all the, uh, the medical to this guy or choose this someone named Alice Cooper this person who did the medical end of it didn't know who Alice Cooper was thought it was one person so Alice got all of it. Mm. He had no medical for 6 years fortunately none of us came down with anything you know Glenn probably could have used it, it might have helped, you know his life you know probably needed it the most but yeah. then we found out it took another three years for them to unravel that whole ball of craziness yeah and uh I remember uh when I was back in LA this is before the phone call uh I I went uh yeah I was our roadie Ronnie Bolts, was our main roadie and he joined us in, in Cleveland saw a lot of the tours and uh so I, we're talking to Ronnie and I'm over. And he goes, Hey, have you see now? show. I said, Show? No. no, what show are you talking about? Said, Come on, let's go. They said, Where are we going? He said, we're going down to one of Brothers Sound Studios, sound Stage. I said, Why are we going down there? He goes, You'll see. So we get down there and we walk up out of the shadows and I'm seeing Welcome to My Nightmare. And go, Oh my God. This is the lounge song act. It's a lot more than that and then i realized because alice told me about the dream that he had about night welcome to my nightmare he told me all these things the creatures in his dream and everything and i think at that time he was he wanted to do something beyond our you know our executions of alice you know how how many can you do you know till that goes away and then we went to the big Look at me, stage, you know, bigger than life, you know. And then after that, uh, we had Neil Des and I, we were kind of longing for a, a just plain Jane Stone's album, you know, gritty and, you know, funky and all that stuff. And uh, I guess Alice probably took it real seriously, you know, because he's thinking bigger, badder productions and we're thinking simpler, you know, mm. different. Right. and but i was shocked because i'd heard about that i didn't hear about the nightmare then but i soon learned learned about that later saw i saw that a dichotomy maybe uh, of the fork in the road and i could see as an artist what he was going for but uh as a bandmate who who been through hell and back i mean i went through young adulthood i Experience all the guys got out of the draft, but me, you know, I was the lucky one, right? Uh, I I went from high school being a four-year letterman, a class treasurer, four-year on the football team, the key club. Next year at the draft board, I'm a suicidal homosexual uh, with a drug, bad drug addict who's willing to commit suicide if he has to go. They didn't buy it. (laughs) I didn't, I guess I didn't, I didn't make the part come to life. <laughs> Neil and Dennis on the other hand, dressed in pink and kind of tiptoed in like this, two fairies on wing, you know, flying in and Glenn and, and Neil did similar, uh, Glenn did similar thing. He, he was just, had a lot of problems, you know, and Dennis had high blood pressure. I, I didn't that. have those problems. And so yeah. my days in there, I was moving my board to California back and forth to Arizona because that buy you three months till showdown in uh in michigan was at ann arbor and uh the song Stephen on nightmare yeah was about a drug dealer and who ends up dying but before he died it was the next day or so i was supposed to go to ann arbor to be inducted and i said to him Stephen, I, I don't have any money but I, I really need can you help me with some sort of escape clause and he says yeah i'll fix you up and this little plastic bag says On your way back, just snort this stuff. It'll take care of you. But I found out later it was real THC. It was an elephant tranquilizer. You know, the vets would give horses and cows or whatever. And Michael Roswell, a road manager, all the way backwards. And by the time he got to Ann Arbor, I'm floating off the boat. I'm floating, get out of the car. I got my hand on his ass and I'm scared. I've got, in one hand, I've got my birth certificate and my draft orders. And I'm getting on the bus and I thought, God, this is really happening. You know, I I kind of sat down in the bus, not knowing what was going to happen next. Bus takes off and it goes towards Detroit City. And it started going, climbing a hill. And as it climbed the hill, it just kept going. And soon it was flying through the air. And I'm going, wow. Wow. And then I don't remember anything. And then I remember coming back to reality. I'm talking to guys in white coats, and I'm not an animal. I'm a human being. I was so stoned I couldn't, I'm going to at that time. And I And I was asking for a pen so I could write down. Somebody finally gave me a pen. And it looked like a chicken that walked through ink. It looked like hieroglyphics or something. <laughs> and I was high for a week, but I got a four out. a week later. That's the fastest I ever seen the draft board ever swinging to action that quick, I made quite an impression. I was handcuffed to a gurney and I couldn't talk. And I was in the hallway because Detroit General was over. Just There was a lady.
0: I guess
2: they took her baby. She's she's probably handcuffed to something. I'm handcuffed to this bed. Until I came down and nobody knew where I was. They finally came and got me and that was my, finally, got the draft board behind me (laughs) so that all this happened and all these thoughts are going through my mind you know as as Alice is now leaving us and and I guess we're all on our own now you know
0: yeah well we're glad you weathered the storm and you're doing doing well today it looks like (laughs) and I know that you and Alice have uh, worked together a little bit here in the oh yeah. yeah in recent years so Michael, we are over time today, but we do appreciate you joining us. If you want to do another one about any other things, I'd be happy to do it. And I love hey, being there for anybody who wants to know uh, my life's kind of open book. And thank you for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. We appreciate you joining us. On behalf of my co-host, Jason McMaster, I'm Metal Dave Glessner, along with our special guest today, Michael Bruce.